Today we're going to continue on learning and understanding the Holy Spirit. Charles Stanley made a quote, and this is how I want to kind of start off this morning and, and kind of package where we're headed this morning. It says, the Holy Spirit's power cannot be harnessed. His power cannot be used to accomplish anything other than the Father's will. He is not a candy dispenser. He is not a vending machine. He is not a genie waiting for someone to rub his lamp the right way. He is holy God. So when, when I'm teaching on the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that this is bigger, and, and I have to be careful how I explain this, because I'm trying to explain something that is unexplainable. Okay, God can't be put in a box. We would love to, and we always try to. And, and I'm going to use this just because it's, it's one of the things I always giggle at. We always hear people try to explain God principles so that our feeble little minds can understand them. Y'all heard the fact that three in one, God is Trinity. We have the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Holy Spirit. How many of you all heard people try to explain that to you? Well, it's like water. It can be a gas, and it can be a vapor, and it can be a liquid. No, he's God. You cannot understand him. How many are glad you do not understand God? How many of you guys would like a God that can think like you? <laughs> not a chance. See, we want those mysteries. That's what keeps us coming back to God. Because he will reveal just a little bit more to keep drawing us back. But we need the Holy Spirit to draw us. And that's what to me is exciting about studying the Holy Spirit and, and surrendering to the Holy Spirit is the fact every time you just take a little step in, he scares you to death. Because it's going to question you to change. And we have two options at that point. As we talked about this morning, show me your glory. Well, guess what that means? I got to step into your glory. You know, we saw the people of Israel step away from God's glory at the mountain with Moses. They didn't want to step into the cloud. They're like, no, Moses, you go. God was inviting a nation into his presence, and the nation said, no, you go. I never want us to become a church that says, you go. As a church, let's step into his glory and see what he does. That's what excites me. That's what gets me up in the morning, is seeing people's lives touched by God. And one life touched by God changes everything. So today, I just got a couple of quick thoughts that I want to go through. You know, I was asking myself the questions, and maybe you guys have asked yourself the question, what does being spirit-filled look like? You know, what does a spirit-filled church look like? Is it charismatic? Is it lights? Is it clapping? Is it screaming? Is it dancing? Is, you know, is it somber? Is it, is it on our knees? Is it on our faith? What does a spirit-filled church or a spirit-filled per person look like? And see, I've come to the understanding that guess, it's okay to ask God's questions. He big enough. He actually wants us to ask questions so he can explain who he is. See, God is big enough for our questions. David, read the Psalms. David's asking constant questions. If he wasn't complaining about something, he was asking God's questions. And when he wasn't asking God questions, he was just praising God for who he was. As we saw Psalm 19, 1 and 2 this morning up on, the, up on the screen, it said, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. So when you go out at night, do you look up and say, just see the vastness of who God is, and that, that is declaring his glory. That's declaring who he is. And yet, he knows every hair on your head. 
So he's declaring his glory over your life as well. And that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this, the manual we have to be transformed is the Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, the, inspiring the people to write the Bible. Okay? And through that, he convicts, he, conde- you know, he draws us, he teaches us, he reproves, reproaches. Uh, you know, King James, the old school, is, is how it's said in 2 Timothy. But it's a process of transformation. It's not a self-help thought process. It's a surrender thought process. See, in order to get closer to God, we ha- as John said, I must become less so he can become more. And see, as Christians, that's where we need to get to. As a church, that's where we need to get to. As there's less of us and more of him, we'll see more transformation in lives of others. And so we surrender and, and we give up and, and realize that, as Sean sang this morning, this sanctuary this morning is holy ground. When you walked into here this morning, because this is our sanctuary, God declared this to be holy ground. So when you walked in, guess what? You walked into the very presence of God. And God's saying, are you listening? Are you hearing from me? Because your DJ is the Holy Spirit to tune that thing in for you. And he gets you to hear the voice of God. So quickly, just four ways of how we should look different or how we will look different as a spirit-filled person or a spirit-filled church is guess what? We're going to be worshipers. John 4.23, Jesus says, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. See, when we're spirit-filled, our worship changes. It becomes extravagant. It becomes about him. It doesn't become about a genre of music. It doesn't become about lights. It doesn't become of, oh, it's too loud, or oh, it's too soft, or they don't do enough hymns, or they do too many music, or they clap, or they stand up, or they raise their hand. Anything, the worship wars that have happened in churches for years is ridiculous because ultimately the worship is about him, and if that's how you worship, then that's how you worship. If that's how our church worships, that's how we worship as a church. It has nothing to do with anything other than God. And you can see that in everything you do, but guess what? Again, the worship becomes extravagant. As as the woman who came to Jesus when she was at the Pharisee's house and she brought her alabaster jar, which is expensive perfume, and she broke it at the feet of Jesus and poured it on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair, your worship will become like that. It's not about you. It's about the extravagant love of the Father. And Jesus said, guess what? The reason she did that is because those who have a lot of sins and they have been forgiven... They will worship because they know what they've been saved from. Now, you people who've been saved for too long, you forgot what you got saved from, and you just worship a little bit, and you start complaining about worship. Honestly, that's what's happening. Most people who complain about what goes on in the church, this is a study, this is not for me, have never shared their faith. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say, come to church and complain about what's happening. Because there's always things we can find wrong, isn't there? But if I'm out sharing my faith with people, guess what? I'm just excited about what God's doing. And I just want to get him plugged in. And so as long as, hopefully, pray, keep praying for me, as long as they're coming here and they're getting fed, we're doing what God's calling us to do, and we don't care about the other minor things. I also have another wonderful statement that I love. I'm not sure my wife loves it. 
you can be part of the problem or part of the solution. If there's something you don't like, volunteer. Come serve. Because God's called us all to serve. And now I, I, I can say that here. Why? Because I've had every one of you people come into our church and help. I am preaching to the choir when it comes to that. You guys have served beyond. But God still has more for us. The second thing you'll become when, you, when you're spirit-filled is you become people of prayer. It changes from prayer is not something we do, but it's who we are. Everything we do starts with prayer. Every program we start needs to be bathed in prayer. Every decision we make needs to be bathed in prayer. Why? Because this is God's house. Yes, it's called Bridge Church, but it's his house. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Trust me, over the last few weeks, I have sat in that building and prayed a lot. Because again, I wanted it done six months ago. But God's timing is better than mine. And that's why I keep asking you guys to keep praying for me. Because I am not the most patient person when it comes to this type of stuff. Because I just want to see God move. Why? So guess what? I get to brag about what God's done. And I do. That building, everybody I talk to, I was at a sectional meeting this week. I'm bragging about what God did. What you have done following God. I brag on you guys all the time. Why? Because quite honestly, people are surprised when they find out a church of our size, a church plant of our size, owns six acres outright and have a building we're in the process of purchasing. When there are other churches who are closing. I don't want to see that happen. God needs everybody. And so I, 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 we become people of prayer and say, guess what? It's nothing I've done. It's everything God's doing. I'm just trying to hang on. The third thing they'll become is they get desperate to hear God's voice. John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. See, when we're spirit-filled and when we surrender to the Holy Spirit, we get desperate to read our Bible because we want to hear from God. We get desperate to pray. We get desperate to come to church. We don't want to miss out on what God's doing. And the fourth thing, real quickly, is you learn to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Romans 8, 4 says it this way, He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us, we, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Now what I want to preface this, the rest of this talk with is understand God is looking for progress. He's not looking for perfection. Okay, somebody needs to hear that this morning. God is not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to make progress. Do you want to be better tomorrow than you are today? That's what God's looking for. Why? Because this side of heaven, none of us are ever going to be perfect. Now, we get to go to heaven, guess what? It says God takes the imperfect and makes it perfect. So we want to talk and we want to look at those four things and look at today, I'm going to go into the fruit of the Spirit. God, understanding that the fruit... Again, I, I said it last week, the gifts and the fruit are two different things. 
The fruit should be values and characteristics that are evident in every Christian. And that's where the progression comes in. I already talked about one of them. Patience. Yeah, see, y'all giggle. Y'all know you struggle with it too. But I'm progressing. Like I said, years ago, Bull China Shop, I'd have been making phone calls. We probably wouldn't have that building anymore because I'd have gotten in the way. Honestly. And so I've learned to slow my roll. See, we have to understand when we are led by the Holy Spirit as a church, we're going to be inviting for all to come in. Doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, or what you look like, you're welcome here. That's what a spirit-filled church looks like. We have the heart of Jesus. As he says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are we a sanctuary, a rest for people to come into when they're struggling with life, when they have no hope, when they feel like they're lost? Can they come through our doors and feel welcome? See, it seems that most of the time what happens is we just spin our wheels. We just talk about people. We, we are trying to accomplish something, and we, and we work hard at it, and it leaves us empty. We try to figure out what's going to make us feel successful in life, so we work for that, and we struggle for that, and when we get close, it's still not, it's still not what we were looking for. And see, that's, that's what the problem is of being self-help books or self-thought processes. Everything we think is good, God has better. See, I don't care what job you have today or what job you've had. God is better at it than you are, so give it to him and let him teach you how to do it. Doesn't matter what you do, God's better at it. And as I told my one daughter yesterday, guess what? God loves your daughter more than you do which is hard to believe because we love our kids a lot. But God loves them more. So we have to learn to surrender. Because see, the point of life isn't about us. As Mark Batterson says, the point of life isn't to get to death safely. The point of your life is to take risks for God and see Him glorified. So the dash in between your birth date and your death date means something and you're leaving a legacy. See, we don't want to end at death safely. We don't want to just get through life. And as we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit more and more, we begin to see Jesus fill us as a church, not only as individuals, with the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I don't know if any of you are any good at telling the difference between plants. I am not. I could walk outside and I couldn't tell you the difference between trees I mean, I kind of can, but not really. I don't know it that well. I, couldn't, I could walk you out in front of our building and not tell you what any of those plants are. As far as I am, they're plants. You go out on our land, and there's probably, you could call out weeds, and to me, guess what? It's all just grass. I don't know anything about that type of stuff. But see, when we see what something is made of by the fruit hanging on it, you all of a sudden learn what kind of tree that is, don't you? If you think you had an apple tree and all of a sudden some lemons start coming out of it, and I don't know, please don't judge me. <laughs> you got a lemon tree or a bush, whatever lemons are stinking growing on. I don't even know. I already warned you I don't know anything about them. 
But see, as, as the fruit starts to show what happens, we start to learn and, and identify the family that is part of. When people look at you, when they see the fruit of your life, do, do they see your identity in God? Because that's what the fruit of your life is going to reveal. That's what the fruit of our church is going to reveal. Is it about us or is it about God? See, that fruit can tell you the family that you belong to. That fruit in someone else's life reveals who they're becoming spiritually. And that's why this is about progression, not perfection. See, if you turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5, 5 this morning, and we're just going to jump right down to 522, where it lists off the fruit of the Spirit. Y'all there? So in Galatians 5, starting in verse 22, it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit, leading every part of our lives. So as we start off, and, and again, right before that, God, the, the Holy Spirit gave a whole list of our natural desires, our sinful nature, and he goes through it. And he then prefaces it and says, but the Holy Spirit will produce this in your life as you surrender. See, this is not something we can produce on our own. I can't try to be gentle. First of all, look at me. Do I look gentle? So if it was up to me, again, y'all heard me, it's get on board or get out the way. You got a problem? Kick the door down, walk through and deal with it. Don't hide from it. So gentleness is not one of the key virtues in my life for me. Now God, over time, has made me more gentle, hopefully. I got two people that say yes and they've known me the longest, so I'm going to trust them. So, um, <laughs> but see, like all fruit, the fruit of the Spirit grows from its roots. They're characteristics of God. They're designed to be the dwelling place. You are designed to be the dwelling place of the fruit of the Spirit. See, when we think about it, how it grows out of our roots, it, it brought me to something Sean said a few weeks ago. When Jesus tells us in John 15, 4 and 5, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit of its, if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. 
for apart from me you can do nothing. See, the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in us. How? By knowing Jesus. That is the first way to see the fruit of the Spirit start to grow in your life, is you have to know Him. Why? Because He is the vine. We are the branches. The Father is the root system that holds us all together. And the Holy Spirit produces in us the ability to be grafted into Him. And as we stay connected to Him, guess what? The fruit starts to grow in our life. How many of y'all ever got a box of fruit from one of those little things when the kids are selling it? Did you eat it all or did you share it? Most of the time you had to share it because you couldn't go through it quick enough if you bought the big box, right? Well, that's what the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to do in our life. As we stay connected to Jesus, we should be going to share the fruit of that Spirit with other people. Because our world needs hope, doesn't it? And where is hope found? In Jesus. People need life. And where is that found? In Jesus. It says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So you have the ability and right to bring life to people. Because the Father said so, not because we're special. And see, when we look at those characteristics, I can't produce them on my own. Again, y'all know people who are just annoying. How do you love that person that just grinds your gears? You love them, why? Because Jesus loved us while we were still sinners and chose to die on a cross for us. I did not say hang out with them. I said, love them. See, and I learned to love them when I learned to love Jesus. Big discussion over the last few weeks. I, we, I think we talked about it a little bit last week. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. You don't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor correctly. You can't love yourself right until you know who, who you are in Jesus. And that is revealed to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it, it says that the Holy Spirit is a guarantor that says, guess what? You can cry out, Abba, Father. Or in today's terms, Daddy. You get to cry out to the creator of the universe, Daddy. How many, how many of y'all can remember either when you were kids or your kids scream out, Dad, at some point? Did Dad ignore you? No, if he was an earshot, he came running. Now, in my case, it was normally to yell at me for something. But understand, as a heavenly father, when you cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa, whatever, he will be there for you because he says he will, it will, not because of anything we do. And so as we surrender and let the Spirit fully control our lives, we learn to stay connected to him. See, like all fruit, whether natural or spiritual, we must be cautious not just ex to expect that fruit to grow. There will be things in your lives that will want to distract you from, from the fruit, from cultivating it, from digging it up, from taking out the weeds. Let's call it busyness, jobs, family, just to name a few. All those things will try to distract us from becoming and surrendering to the Holy Spirit to be more connected to Him so it can be seen in our lives. See, they can also be good things. But here's the, here's, here's the test for that. <laughs> Pray and ask, should I do this? And if the answer is no, 
don't. Just saying. You know, don't, don't turn at that point and ask why not. Are you sure? Maybe just a little. No, just don't do it. Because remember, we talked about last week, we have not because we ask not. And if I'm going to ask God, you know, should I do this? And he says no. And I say, fine, I'm going to take my ball and go home. I'm missing what God wants to do. Why? Because I need to learn to give up what's better for what's best. And God knows what's best. I don't. See, we need to learn to cultivate the fruit. We need to learn to pray for it. It's that simple. There's a statement when it comes to our faith. When it, when it talks about fear or faith. Whichever one you feed the most will be the strongest. So if you want to have less anxiety, feed your faith, not your anxiety. You want to have less worry, feed your faith. Don't feed your worry. Get into God's Word. Let the Holy Spirit do what he says in Romans 12, transform your mind by the renewing of it. And how is our mind renewed? By, by pressing in and, and knowing Christ and being close to Christ. Yeah, I told you I didn't know where I was going with this this morning. The fruit of the Spirit should be evident in our lives. It should be growing in our lives as we surrender to the Holy Spirit. When you look at the love, joy, peace, those are really internal characteristics that God creates in us when we are saved. To show other people. We can love those people who, don't, who, who are unlovable. We can love those people who are annoying. Joy isn't happiness. It's not based on our circumstances. Our joy is based on the fact that Jesus said, I'm coming back again. It's not based on what's going on around us. And peace is a deep trust in having faith. That Psalm 23 jumped out to me last night. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid because you are with me. See, no matter what you're going through this morning, no matter what you've gone through in life, or no matter what you think, Jesus said, I am walking with you. You're never alone. David said that in, the, in Psalm 23, and you all know Psalm 23 a little bit, but did you ever think about that? That even when you're going through, even when you're having worry, even when you're having anxiety, even when you're having problems, even when people are tearing you apart, it says, even in my darkest days, you are with me. And that is a fruit of the Spirit. The, other, the next three are really about our relationship with others. Patience, kindness, and goodness. They're how, how do we deal with people? And here, Paul is describing a Christ-like character. The Christ-like character of patience does not seek vengeance. It says, and this is one of my favorite verses in Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. Now our culture says you got to get him back. If I'm a man, i got to stand up for what I know is right. I can't let them play me. The greatest man who ever lived said nothing and chose to die for you. 
I want to be like the world. I want to be like Jesus. Now, are there times to stand up? Yes, there are. Because Jesus also turned over tables. But we have to remember, he turned over tables for his father, not for himself. They had turned God's house into a den of thieves. See, it's not about what I want. It's about what Jesus has done. It's not about returning evil for evil, because Paul says don't return evil for evil. It says in, his own, in God's own word, it says it's your kindness that leads them to repentance. Jesus said if someone slaps you on the right cheek, you know, turn the cheek and let him slap you on the other one. Back in the day, you punch me on the right cheek, I am knocking you out. I, honestly, I had a struggle with that even with my kids when they were little. Because of the anger I had inside of me, but God took that away when the Holy Spirit came and lived inside of me. And I learned to have kindness. Romans 2.4 says it this way, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? That's just talking about me. Say, haven't you seen how dumb you are and yet God's patient with you? How dare you not be patient with someone else? Because it says, does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? You want to see lives changed? You want to see your marriage changed? Start loving them better. I heard a story this week, in fact, Randy Ruiz gave it in one of his devotionals about a young woman who had come into a psychologist and wanted a divorce from her husband. The, the psychologist sent her home and said, fine, for 30 days, love him, tell him how great he is, tell him what he's been doing right, and just, and just treat him like, like he's amazing. After 30 days, she came back to the psychologist, he had the papers written up for her, say, hey, are you ready to sign your divorce papers? She said, No. Because she started loving her husband and not finding everything wrong with them. Stop looking for what's wrong with people and just start loving people. And then goodness. <laughs> this is the most active of the three. See, to show goodness, you have to serve others. To show goodness, you're making it about them, not about you. And that's why it's active. The last three... I've got to finish up here quick. The last three are just general characteristics. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Faithfulness is fruit, is clearly a gift from the Holy Spirit to enable us to be faithful to God when all else is falling apart. It's, it's that ability to say God's still in control even when all chaos is breaking loose. See, that's the faithfulness God gives us. See, the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Things are going to go wrong. And we've been called to be faithful. And as we're faithful, guess what? God will be fruitful. Gentleness. I already talked about that one. But we need to understand that gentleness, like where it talks in the Beatitudes, is not meekness. It is not weakness. It is strength under perfect control. Meaning God's in control, I'm not. We're no longer jockeying for position. We're no longer jockeying for status. We don't need recognition. We just learn to love others. And self-control in our do-what-makes-you-happy society, this is probably the least seen one because self-control and self-discipline are looked at as bad things nowadays. See, but when we surrender to God's will, initially we feel as though we've lost control. But at the end of the day, it leads us 
and gives us impossible strength we'd never have on our own. 1 Corinthians 12, 6, 19, and 20. Paul tells us, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He lives in you. He's been given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God has bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And so to finish up this morning, and Sean, I will have you come forward this morning and play something as we take some time to pray for different areas in our life that we want God to help produce that fruit in our lives. When John the Baptist, I said it at the beginning, I must become less so he can become more. See, we need to learn to surrender our lives to a life-giving relationship with the Holy Spirit. We must let our minds be renewed by the Holy Spirit so that he can take us on the path of transformation.